0: Welcome back to Cargumentative where men with poor punctuality blame the traffic for being late <laughs> well, Guys, we're going to be talking about cars and all things car culture like we do every week. Uh, I'm Thomas Faulkner and it's good to have back I'm uh, Mark Paluta,
1: you can find me at Palutsky on Instagram
2: I'm Mike Salomon, you can find me at M H Solomon on Instagram. Yeah. I'm Nadav. Thanks for having
0: us back. It's only a pleasure. Thanks for, for, for coming back, you know. A lot of people never come back. But no, you really? guys are always here and it's, you know. Maybe a few excellent. minutes late, but but we made it. Well, maybe half an hour, but that's you know, <laughs> who's gonna split hairs? I'm not. So guys, big news. We all love Porsches. Yeah, right? We do. we do? We really do. We all like Porsche 911s. We really do. And so we are all very excited about the new porsche 911 which is called the porsche 992 yeah came out at the la motor show last week caused a sensation and um, i remember we were talking about it before on the show and some of us were saying yeah yeah i'm not too sure how it's gonna look but actually in real life with all the camouflage off and the sticky bits that they put on these cars on on prototypes it looks really good
1: yeah so initially i thought um i didn't think it was so great Because, yeah, like you said, we had seen camouflage pictures and we tried to kind of figure out how we thought it would look. But in real life, in the right color, fantastic.
2: I think in any color it looks good. what do you think? No, absolutely. And I think, uh, I mean, if we go back and work out, this is Generation 8. First one came out in 1963. Um, I mean we've gone through a whole lot of generations of, of air cooled. Finally in nineteen ninety eight went over to water cooling and now, you know, this is the water cooling is uh is, is the, the cars have, have really come into their own. The cool thing for me on the uh, on the new one is that they've got a lot of design cues. That hark back to the original cars, so it seems. And I have obviously got to see it in the flesh, but it seems like they've raised the pods behind the headlights to give it more of the classic 911 frontal view. And I'd love to see it out the out the front uh, the front window. Also on the bonnet, it's got a couple of creases. And if you go and look at an early 911, you can see it. It was but it was functional in the early ones because it was there for, as a vent to let air into the cabin. But it just to me, it's phenomenally well proportioned. Nadav, the Enorek. You
0: probably got your Know Your Porsche 911 book out and immediately did a a quick dissection
3: (laughs) of each generation. Ah, Yes, of course. Of course. I mean, uh, the rear haunches are very reminiscent of the 997 series. Absolutely. Wide bodies. But no, just jokes aside, I think um, we've all seen it now. We've had a couple of days to get used to the design. And I think as a whole, it's a good-looking car. Mm. I mean, it's nicely proportioned. Um, I think what we're going to struggle with when it actually comes – to South Africa, and we see it in the metal. Is its actual size? Mm. Everything's in Agreed. proportion. But I'm very, very worried about how big this two-seater sports car is actually going to be.
2: Well, they've been getting bigger with every generation. Well, um, yeah. Well, we can. There's uh, from the start there is no narrow body version. Mm. It's, it, it only it, comes it, in the wide only body. Only comes in the wide body. So it's standard. Uh, its standard width is the same as the current Carrera S. Um, and as you said, the, the rear oh, the rear haunches have a lot of shape to them. I, I, to me, it looks a lot like the 930 that I've got and when in, showing it in the same silver. I, I don't know. I, to me, it just really, really looks great. Well, you made an interesting comment today on a
1: group we were on where there was a rear view of it and another beautiful Porsche, classic Porsche. And that was the…
2: 959.
1: Yeah. And I actually couldn't believe the similarities. Yeah. It, it did. It definitely looks… From a full-on rear view, it looks like you, know, that's just, you can see something there, mm. well, some lineage.
2: F- well, funnily enough, the one thing that we've all remarked is that the razable rear spoiler, yeah, which has been part of the 911 since the 964, and that was in 1989 that it mm. came out, um, that comes up at, its, at speed to try and reduce a bit of lift at the back. Um, the, the spoiler on this goes all the way across the car, and it's very ungainly looking when it's up. Um, it really seems to spoil the look. So I'm, I'm hopeful that they will do a 959 wing that is static, that <laughs> goes the full length of the car. Um, that'll be enough for me. Talking about 959s, what's amazing
0: about, about this new 992 is the performance. I mean, the base spec model that they've just bought out. So that's going to be a, a 992S. Um, there's no normal Carrera. So it's a 992 Carrera S. That thing, standard, does 0 to 100 in like 3.7 seconds which is quicker than a 959 and has a top speed of 308 i mean you're getting you're getting incredible performance
1: and if i'm not mistaken has the same power as a 959 well, Four hundred and fifty horsepower?
0: Uh, I don't know horsepower because I live in South Africa, but it's uh, <laughs> three hundred and thirty-one kilowatts. Yeah, so it's about the same as a yeah. nine-five-nine. I mean, that's that's incredible. It is. It that is was incredible. like the the pinnacle of sports cars at the time. But but even comparing it, I mean, to to past GT cars like oh, yeah. past GT threes and stuff like that. I mean, you're getting a car that is is seriously. Yeah, it's got more well. power than my GT three. Yeah, I mean, it's well, uh, it's significantly impressive. more. I yeah, mean, fifty more. One thing we haven't talked. More. about is pricing these are a lot more expensive nadav you were showing me pics of of pricing Um, yeah
3: i i I had to think back to when the pre-facelift of the previous generation which was the 991 came out uh, which was in 2012 i remember it clearly and i remember Remember thinking that sure this is sort of the first Porsche that sort of the the, the base model has broken through the million rand mark and it was yeah. uh, about 1.15 million rand for the base model 991 Mark 1 and the base price for this 992 Mark 1 uh, is somewhere north of 1.7 million yeah, so that's sure. that's 700 thousand rand increase in the base model price. In seven under years. seven years, under seven years, yeah. Yeah. and uh, that's a hundred thousand rand year on year. Um, that's
2: and just all inflation. Yeah. Uh, well, the thing about it is that the rand isn't that much weaker than what it was back then. So, so it's all inflation. Um, yeah. yeah w- although although it had done its its run, all the way to seventeen, and then came back a bit, mm. but I think the point is that. At 1.7 million rand, you know the way that the Porsches work. Yeah, you, when, as soon as you start specking that thing, even with a tiny little thing, you'll go over two million rand before you've uh, changed the colour. Yeah. Do you, do you, do you think the
0: pricing thing might see them bring in um, a base Carrera?
1: They go, well, you know what I mean. They're, like, like, they're going to bring in another T.
0: Yeah. So T has always
1: kind of been it's weird because in the 99 1.2, the T slotted between the Carrera and, and the Carrera, Carrera S. S. Whereas historically, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, the T was base. You had the T, the E, and then the S. Yes, that's right. that's so right. Like Tess. That's the way you remember it. <laughs> yeah, like Tess. <laughs> top tip. Oh, backwards.
3: Thank you, Thomas. Sure.
1: So, yeah, I think they'll continue with the T because they, they really sold them well in this last uh, 991.2 range. So maybe
2: they'll continue that. Did they sell them well? I mean, there are a whole lot on the market at the moment Well, that, that seem to be unsold. Used or from Porsche? Uh, from Porsche. Uh, I can't
3: comment. Uh, I know that it's. There were all 911s. Always been popular. Every generation has outdone expectation. I think, and I'm sure the 992 will continue to be so, even at its quite substantial starting price now. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I think we are expecting. I think officially we're expecting a Carrera at some point underneath the Carrera S. Yes. So
0: yeah. what do we, so we compare it to prices? in the market? Well, I mean, looking at the performance spec, you can compare it to stuff that is still more expensive than than you know the price tag that comes attached to this so car. Like so like what,
1: a Mercedes GT, AMG GT? Yeah, I'd
2: say so. Yeah. Aston Martin Vantage? Aston Martin yeah, Vantage. But, um, once you're going um, to the Vantage, I mean, you talking about double that price. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So Porsche is still relatively so
3: cheap. Always good value. It always has been good value, yeah. and perhaps the markets just moved on. I think so. The, yeah. the price markers have moved on with it.
0: And I guess also, you know, they've got they've got the Caymans now as well. So if you do want something a bit cheaper with the Porsche badge on, uh, there's always the Cayman to fall back.
2: On. Yeah. Um, we're, yeah. yeah we're so, going to be talking about power later in the show, but mm. I mean the reality of it is is that the extra power is probably superfluous. But when you when you look at uh, what probably is the model to go for is the 991.2 because they're probably going to be quite unloved you're going to have a lot of people queuing up for this thing and i suspect there might be some heavy depreciation on that yep. coming up right now well we'll see uh,
0: new 992 coming out to South africa next year nadev one more question
3: so just to say that yeah. if you guys want to have a look to our audience um have a look online at the 992 online configurator lots of fun, fun. Ours a fun. Your boss will choose your you. colours. Your yeah. boss will love you. Choose your colours. Choose your wheels, and um, it really is a good-looking car.
2: Green with gold wheels.
3: Yes, of course, yeah, absolutely
0: beautiful. Very cool. Well,
3: looking forward to seeing that when it comes
0: to South Africa in the middle of 2019, guys. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be speaking to a special South African motor racing icon. Thanks. Welcome back to Cargamentative, and in this segment of the show, we've got a very special and exclusive interview with a leather wrap warrior of South African motorcycling, Mr. Brad Binder. How are you doing?
4: Well, thanks. How are you guys doing?
1: Good, good. good. excellent, man. Fantastic. Nice to be here with you. It is.
0: Thanks for, 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 taking up, you know, for taking the time out and being here with us. Yeah, um, proper, proper South African rock star. Exactly. Yes. No, absolutely, Tom, you seriously have done, have done yourself well. you know, well-played. it's kind of contacts, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's all about who you know.
1: Um, so I think Mike's going to focus on a couple of lifestyle oriented <laughs> questions where I'm going to maybe ask you a couple of technical questions, maybe I should start. Yeah. So, so I wanted to find out from you, testing the, the new Triumph, um, have you tested it?
4: Yeah. Uh, basically, so far I've done. Uh, we did three days of testing here. Unfortunately, okay. only like just over one and well, well, not even one of them actually. But half a day was um, was dry. The rest was pouring a rain. Oh, is it? So it was difficult. We never really got too many laps in. But uh, in general, the new bike is really cool. Um, we okay. really, really, in, I'm really enjoying the new um, Triumph engine. the no. seven six five.
2: I've heard that... Um, Triumph never been in... Uh, in, in, in GP, before.
1: I don't think they have. Maybe, well, maybe, back in, maybe older. back in the old days. Back in the day, now, maybe. I hear that the new motor, compared to the, the Honda replaces, has a lot more torque, mid-range and low-range. So coming out of
4: corners, something different? I don't know if you felt that? Yeah, uh, it's com- different. Eh? Is it very different? It's quite different. The thing is, like on the four-cylinder, it really... It only starts to... Uh, well, you really feel the power at really high RPM yeah, yeah. and you have to keep the thing revving. Whereas this three-cylinder, I find in a lot of places you use like a gear gear higher, you oh, know, okay. just to... You kind of use that torque to get out the corner. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's a lot... It's really strange to ride because you're so used to like the bike spinning more as the RPM goes up. Oh, whereas yeah. this thing, you kind of like get that thing lit and then it just kind of comes back to you because oh, there's really? not much power on top.
1: So now, okay, so that's going to play a big part in tyre management. I think next year, yeah, guys, the guys that get tyres right are going to be the guys that, that, that succeed, I suppose. Because, I mean, I suppose getting on the power earlier mid-corner is going to start to chow the outside of the tyre, so the guy that can deal with that, the guy that can manage that is going to be the guy that makes the tyre last the race.
4: Yeah, I well, think. at the moment, they're actually busy making a, a wider tire for us, a 200-profile oh, really? tire, so, okay. uh, so we're going to have a little bit more, uh, probably, endurance and grip, just to deal with the a little bit extra power we have. Okay, that's cool. But, uh, yeah, also, the in general, we got so much electronics on this new bike, like, I haven't even started to play with this stuff. Like Oh, really? Like, we have torque uh, maps, because now the new throttles fly by wire, oh, so, yeah. um, basically, like, that you can set up the bikes so and you flat out, you think you flat out, but actually you are like 80% throttle. Oh, uh,
1: is it? It's really confusing. So I remember when you when you won the championship and we interviewed you last, you spoke about how the jump from motor three to motor two, the bikes almost became more agricultural. Like you said, the motor three bike was like a full-on prototype, it's like everything so bespoke on that. Then jumping to motor two using an off-the-shelf kind of Honda Motor, you find that the Triumph is is a bigger jump tech-wise, like you're saying, there's fly wire a throttle-by-wire, there's a lot of torque settings. Is it a lot more technical?
4: It's completely different. Like, it's literally, my team kept telling me, it's like the Moto2, the old Honda Moto2 bike is like having a Game Boy, and now they've got a PS4 <laughs> to play with. <laughs> really? So, yes. it, like, it's hectic. Like, there's okay. really so many different parameters to work in. It's crazy. Okay, that's cool. it's interesting.
1: It's going to make for some exciting riding next year, I think. I think so, too. Yeah, like. Okay.
2: So you're obviously the 2017 Moto3 World Champion, you, 2016, 2016, 2016, 2017. You said you were going to go to Moto2, I remember at Rim & Rubber that evening, you said if you could get one or one podium in two seasons that you'd be uh, happy with that. Uh, you've already had three wins in the Moto2 class. Brilliant. You're now, obviously because of your competitive nature, thinking about possibilities of winning Moto2 championships. The question is, moving into a bike now that's essentially a brand new thing, no one's seen it. What what are your feelings around having to go and be part of the development process for the next phase of the of the, of the bike? Are you concerned that you're going to have to now ride out that uh, that period while they're developing it, when in the back of your mind you're thinking to yourself, shit, I probably could have been winning this championship? Oh, wow, that's a good
4: question, actually. Yes. That's a tough it's one, tricky, eh, Brad. Eh? Why are you it's asking hard. all the hard questions, Brian? Yeah, like? I, mean, I, I, mean, I mean, I think
2: it's a bold move. I mean, but, you know, and it's sort of to me, it feels a little bit like when, when uh, Schumacher went yeah, doing in, in 1996, in slightly, yeah. he made the decision to move over to, to Ferrari. Yeah. He had the car, the F310, which is a beautiful thing, but wasn't really great. And it took him, he was part, he was part and parcel of the development of the car that became the, the F310B and then the F300 and then eventually won five world championships. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's an interesting prospect but yeah. Uh, but yeah what thoughts
4: yeah, I mean it's, just, it's hard hard to say really but uh i I feel like where I am at the moment's quite good. I have amazing people around me and a, an insane crew uh me and Katie have never entered anything not wanting to win yeah, so if you look at it in that way I maybe at the moment things are a bit tough and it's been difficult for them but like. I have a feeling that it's just going to start to click away from here and it can only get better. For well, KTM, didn't they? They won the championship. They won the Constructors' Champion. Yeah. Yeah, so they're doing flipping well. Yeah, well I wouldn't say s- that, I
1: would
0: say you.
4: Yeah. yeah. No, be, my teammates and I together, we Him and the got the most points. <laughs> 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 I'll be yeah. and my Poro teammates. <laughs> um,
0: Brad, who do you think your main rivals are going to be in the 2019 season? Who's moving
4: out? Uh, basically, the the two guys that finished in front of me, Miguel Oliveira and Peko Banaya, they gone to MotoGP. So, okay. um, you know, there's going to be a lot of guys next year. I think uh, Lorenzo Baldessari will be strong. Um, uh, Luca Marini, Ross's yeah. brother.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, is he good? Was is been, he really good? Is he like, talented? You know, he's actually been in Moto2 a long time, but some things clicked this okay. year, like he's... He never used to be really that quick. And you now all of a sudden he's I saw the last couple of races killing he was it, eh? yeah, he's doing well. Really he's doing well. He got a podium in the
1: last race, huh?
4: Eh? Uh he? fell off in the last race, but he oh, won so the he one before. That's a he job. won the round before in Malaysia, yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's had a few podiums this year, so I think he'll be quite strong. So he'll be a year. definite competitor. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of guys, you know. The thing is, when you're fighting for point two, like if someone's having a bad weekend, they're in eighth. And then if they're having a good weekend, they might be winning, yeah. you know. So it's... There's not much separating the top of 10 riders. It's
1: so Um, tight. Tell me, so we were chatting about this uh, a couple of days ago. So a team binder, which I know my wife actually asked you about as well. So you and Darren teaming up
4: at some point, where do you see that happening? If it well, happens, where does it happen? Uh, in MotoGP. I hope the MotoGP because if I stay in uh, in Moto2 for another year, <laughs> then I've done something wrong next year. So, so what? So that means what? Next year, you? I mean, 2020. Yeah. You're hoping to go in a MotoGP. I hope so. I mean, uh, everything I do is to try and win the Moto2 World Championship next year. And if I can do that, you know, then obviously I want to be in MotoGP. Fantastic, yeah. So hopefully hope you Darren can do the same in Moto Three, you and know, or maybe I'll check him in GP one day. How cool would that be,
1: though? That'd be pretty. Imagine an all South African team in MotoGP. Fantastic, yeah, guys. that's the dream for us. Yes, it we're going to make that happen. Yeah, that's would be Brad. amazing.
2: <laughs> so, so let's just talk a little bit about um, about the lifestyle in uh, in MotoGP or in Moto Two and all that type of thing. Um, just just for the record, um, Brad and I we had a we had, had a, a night after the Cape Town 7s in 2016, which was one of the most memorable nights, if only we could both remember it. Um, I, like, I like to call it... But I've seen photographs on your phone. You I like you to, just showing me some... I like to call it the bender with bender. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so do you have time to, to to let loose? I mean, what are the MotoGP parties like at the end of a race? You know, like,
4: basically during my season, I don't, uh, I don't do much. Literally, I focus on training, I do... Basically, I train every day. I ride as much as I can. I rest. I eat properly. I do everything perfectly. And then when I come home, to South Africa in December, I'm the polar opposite. It's like now's my. Uh, I like to call it drinking season, but it's really not
2: professional. So. Uh, oh, so I you, enjoy it. You and I, we dovetail. So I do it the whole year. Yeah. And then I do it again at the end of the year, and you you just do it at the end of the year. So. You, so.
4: It's basically when it's your birthday and it's not your birthday.
2: Yes, you celebrate pretty much it. Okay, <laughs> um, just, 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 just to clarify, and mostly at night, but sometimes during the day. Okay,
0: so that's at least not in the morning, because then you've got a problem. No, but if you don't, uh, if you don't start
1: in
2: the morning, you can't drink all day.
1: Okay, so Brad, you said you're riding every day. Does that mean okay? So we know you have practice on Friday, qualifying Saturday, the race on Sunday, Monday to Thursday. I know the team's moving between sometimes continents. Or if it's in Europe you're moving between tracks, do you get time to ride? I mean do you guys arrive at the track early? Are you are you practicing early or are you I don't know where are we are you riding? Like on those yeah, off days or are um, those
4: off days just for training and basically my my the my week compared to teams week is completely different. Oh, okay, cool. I rock up at the track on Thursday morning, set up my things, um go through data, get everything ready, and then on uh, Sunday basically Uh, So then on uh, Friday morning, we get ready and go. Okay, so you
1: arrive, team's basically waiting for you,
4: there's a bike, here we go, Yeah, literally, uh, that's it. And on the race on Sunday, I come back, hopefully after a podium. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, hopefully. (laughs) It's always a good race if it is. Uh, literally, get go into my truck, take my, my kit off, uh, get dressed, grab my suitcase, and try to get out of there before the end of the movie So it's a race. proper rock star
1: life, eh? Like, uh, Arrive, everything's done for you, Yeah, leave,
4: and you guys clean up. Cheers, I'm out of here. <laughs> literally, it's, it's honestly like it took me so long to get used to it. Because okay. I'm not that kind of person. Yeah. I, don't, I really don't dig it at all. You like to get involved, obviously, yeah, try but, help out. You know, the thing is, it's... Uh, that the, every there's so many people in our team, and every person has their job. Yeah. And um, basically, like I go to my guys, I'm like, guys, like, can I help you with that? You know, they're like, listen, but just sit down and breathe. Like. <laughs> I
1: like that, yeah, That's It's brilliant. crazy. But obviously, you, like, got to that stage. So, I mean, when you start out in Moto Three, you, like you said, you, you're trying to help out. You, they have to tell you, listen. And as you get more successful, I suppose they start to respect you as the rider more and tell you listen hey but we need you to like
4: sit down and chill out we got this you know yeah which is cool i mean it changes honestly like if you if you think about maybe where i started in 2013 it's like uh, it's i'm in a different world now it's not oh, really? even it's not even the same uh, i can't even explain it. it's another world that's yeah but that's what, i mean that's it's, brilliant it's, you've it's done that. hard things huge. have changed that's but, your writing uh, you know but it, it's such a draw honestly uh I love it. I couldn't trade it for anything yeah, in the world. So. <laughs> We're living vicariously for dream, you, man. <laughs> yeah, it's our dream as well.
0: <laughs> and just like, I mean, talking about fitness and staying fit, what do you do? I mean, are you into like jogging, mountain biking? I mean, there's obviously like a, a certain amount of gymming that goes into it as well.
4: Yeah, my normal day um, during the season is I wake up every morning, go cycling. Mm-hmm. If the weather's not good, I go running. Mm-hmm. But um, I prefer cycling normally. I don't do anything too crazy. Normally a couple of hours, you know, not really anything too serious on the on the bicycle, and then um, yeah, go to the gym in the afternoons and try to rest, chill as much as I can. Uh, you know, the basically what well, how it works is my uh, say mid December until let's say uh, March is where I really get my my. My fitness from this is where I work as hard as possible, train myself into a coma basically. (laughs) And then uh, from then on, it's just trying to stay fit and not burn yourself out uh, in between the races. You know, you're so busy with all the traveling, all the. We have a lot of like uh, media events to go to, you know. Oh, yeah. A lot of people look at it and they say, oh, it's 18 races every second weekend actually right in between we it's quite often we're going to events in different um, countries so like you for your sponsors and yeah, yeah that kind of thing you add a lot of miles up that are really not just actually for racing so okay it's you're so busy that it's important to just try and keep your fitness maintain your fitness and yeah. try not burn yourself out cool man
0: and um, do you still ride motorbikes for fun like on a Sunday if you've got like a Sunday off do you ever get on a bike and say like I'm gonna go out for a a ride, or has it become so professional that, that
4: now if you've got spare time, you're like, I want to do something else? Yeah, I believe in, in life, everything has to be in a balance. Mm. Honestly, like you, you can go ride, 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 it's you're going to kill it for yourself. Yeah. Like, yeah. as enjoyable as it is, it's still your job in a way. Yeah, mm. but um, like, I there's not one day in a week that if someone said, Hey, should we go ride? I'd be like, Nah. You know, I go it. ride every Absolutely. single time. So what do you? What, smart, what bike do you have? To do. What bikes do you have? You have bikes here in South Africa? Ah uh, yeah. I mean, well, when I'm home, here yeah, I ride. Uh, I've got a KTM motocross bike. Oh, cool, I've got, yeah. moto. um, got a supermoto. I've got trials bike. I'm actually doing a trials event next next. Uh, well, this coming Sunday. Oh, also. Awesome. So I better go practice because I haven't ridden a <laughs> thing in about two years so uh oh, that's fun eh? yeah i'm looking forward to it. you a know, it's a different skill it's very different eh? yeah it's like honestly like when i come riding here i love to go riding with my mates and actually sometimes it's nice to not just be on the clock the whole time have your set schedule yeah. like you can just go out and you can do a 30-minute yeah, moto and have a draw you yeah. know like, and if you could choose
0: good. one bike to keep in your garage
4: only one what would it be one bike yes yeah. i don't know honestly i'm not much of a bike guy at all yeah like so let's talk about cars. Yeah, I prefer yeah. cars. Oh, cars uh, We're a car show. show.
0: One car, one, one car. garage. What would it be?
4: Yes, but uh, that's hard. <laughs> <Not> hard.
2: <laughs> Come on, off With
4: five, could you name five that you uh, off, off
2: uh, the cuff that, you, that you're lusting
4: What's the dream there? garage? <laughs> yes, but you know, I I'm trying to collect as much as I can without being stupid
2: no uh, uh, no no no. Remove the stupid part. Yeah. Be stupid. Yeah, be stupid. Yeah. Buy there's, anything there's you sensibility want. sensibility and car collecting don't go well together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I well I've always
4: I uh, for some reason when I was young I always wanted a GTR. So now I've got my, my Nissan GTR. Lovely. Uh, I've got old. a Mustang. That's an old Mustang, a oh, oh, new, oh, new, oh, cool, new one. Cool, cool, yeah. I, I love an old one though. If I'll find one, I'll definitely try. Tom Thomas and get one. A, he can it's loan it to you, huh? you yeah, yeah. <laughs> a racing one. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. So that's that's the plan. I got a well now. I just got a Chevy old 1958 Apache truck. Brilliant! Wow, that's a so classic, cool. cool. a real classic. Um, yeah. Just, I don't know. I I really want to find a Countach. I want a Lamborghini. Ah, you speak speaking uh, yeah, Mark's yeah, language. Uh, I,
2: I happen to know one, and I think you should do
4: it. Yeah, I'd love to. Like I, I, I enjoy cars. My my dad's a car collector, so since I was a kid, I've always had. It's always been cars coming in and out.
2: Well, maybe we can't arrange a, a Countach, but maybe we need to meet up and you need to drive a Diablo. So. Sounds like a draw. I'll be you there. just want to
4: recreate the Wolf of Wall
1: Street scene in the Countach. I'm not going to quite. do that a
2: third time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, brilliant. Uh, that sounds like a cool collection. Uh, that's that's lacquer and you, you're on your way, man. Yeah, awesome. oh, I've got one more tipping away question it.
2: about your career. just. Just for the listeners out there, you know, it's always glamorous um, talking about being a professional sportsman and and leading the life, but life on the road is hard. And in in the end, you know, using the tennis analogy, they say that the uh, the the toughest, the the fifth major, is the qualifying tournament. It's the guys trying to get up into the next level. And you're in uh, in MotoGP, but uh, in Moto2, and you're looking to get into MotoGP. At what point does the career start becoming financially? like that you start sorting yourself for the rest of your life, that you stop paying paying or having to get personal sponsors to try and get you to that level. At what point does it start really becoming, that you start reaping the rewards of your phenomenal talent?
4: Uh, Honestly, it really, really depends. I mean, there's a lot of different situations out there. I, I for one, was really fortunate because, unfortunately, being South African, the only way I could ever get into MotoGP was my dad had to pay buy me a ride the first year. But I was fortunate enough that, I basically my dad sat me down and said, "Listen, this it's going to work. You can we can pay for one year, and you need to find make it on your own after that. If you can't, if we can't find a ride at the end of the year, you know you You're on your own. Yeah, that's it. It's it's cool. You come home, you work for me, kind of thing. <laughs> cool. And uh, I was lucky enough. I did the year in 2012, 2013, I got a free ride. Like and. Um, from from then on, I've been I've been well, basically earned a salary to race every year, which is which is great. But I mean, Moto Three and Moto Two is nothing serious. It's only once you get into the big time in Moto GP where where you can actually I don't know I don't make know. something. Amazing. I think that has
1: to change because I must be honest. I've been a Moto GP fan all my life, and the last couple of years, Moto Two has just been such a sweet spot. I think in terms of viewership you guys are where the real racing is happening now. If you're a racing enthusiast, and you like that, you know, you like to see how many, you'd like to see five guys contending for the win on the last lap. Motor 2 is where it's happening. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: Well, just, let, just uh, I think we're, we're going to have to be... Yeah, well, up, Unfortunately, yeah. we're out of but, time. But yeah, just just you to say that, just remember that when you're racing, you have a few idiots sitting here in South Africa <laughs> screaming at the, <laughs> at the going TV, going, "Properly meant, um, <laughs> amazing." And we're rooting for you, and we can't wait for you to be in MotoGP. Yeah, thanks, yeah. it's going to happen. I yeah. can't
4: wait either. You guys, need to come watch, we Absolutely. will. You absolutely, yeah, yeah we absolutely. Will. All right, cool. Thank cool. Bruce, thanks, Bruce. thanks for your time, and good luck for 2019. Perfect. Thanks for having me on the show, guys. A good pleasure. Cheers. Cheers. Ciao.
0: To car and that was some very interesting insight from uh, the one and only Brad Binder. who was quite a thing to interview. Guys, we're moving along. We're talking about power, and I've got this thing that that people are blinded by power figures, and they're blinded by zero to a hundred, you know, times and quarter mile times. And I think that gets in a way of 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 people buying cars. Um, they look for these things instead of actually going out and driving a car, and it may not have as much power but it may be a lot of fun Um, like the 86 that Mark and I were driving around the other night like very underpowered in a straight line Uh, a family well a mom in her diesel powered cash car will probably outdrag you (laughs) Um, but through corners such a fun car it really makes you want to go out and drive and take the long way home yeah true story
1: you know I think so a lot of it's actually about power to weight Mm. people don't remember that so you can have a car with Lots and lots of power, but it also weigh a lot, and that doesn't help anyone. But I guess in
0: this day and age, most cars are pretty heavy. I mean, you're going to struggle to get something under. I mean, besides the best car in the world, the Alpha Four C. Alpha Four C. We haven't mentioned. So, but that's perfect. That's a perfect example. A little bit about because there you have a 1750 cc engine,
1: turbocharged. The car weighs under a ton. Well, it's 800 and what? 865 or something? It, uh, whatever. Right. Yeah, something like that. Hey, it weighs 895? Dep- depends 895. which alpha representative you're speaking to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it outperforms cars that are three, four times its price with three, four times its horsepower. Yeah. Kilowatts power. Kilowatts. Yeah, we're in South Africa. We live in South Africa.
3: I'd like to... Weigh in here. I'd like to weigh in for a minute. Okay, please do. I just want to put the brakes on here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, We've had a complaint. We have. And that complaint is, Mm. why do we always talk in horsepower? Um. So if we're going to talk about power, let's Mm. just lay down some ground rules for a minute. What's the difference between brake horsepower and kilowatts? So we, we always talk about horsepower. And well, you guys do. Well, we do. Well, I know. It confuses me as well. It, it, the reason that we do that is that all the all the the sort of a lot of the highly respected monitoring literature, a lot of stuff that we end up reading online and in the print, is US or. Uh Evo UK. UK, UK. Like EVO. Evo. No getting all, his EVO on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's all uh, and it's all in brake horsepower. Um, and so we get used to the figures quoted about these cars and so we, we quote them amongst ourselves. But in the end that's the incorrect unit for South Africa. We should be talking in kilowatts. Kilowatts and brake horsepower are two different ways of measuring power. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. And uh, the conversion is basically just point, gone to Google seven, about point seven five. So that that's right. you take so if it's a hundred horsepower, it's about seventy five kilowatts. Exactly. Yeah.
3: Thank you, Mike.
1: Is it mm, okay?
3: Mm. So that's one thing, and then the other thing is yes, I agree. that power to weight, the power to weight ratio, is actually what's the most important thing in yeah. a car. And the power to weight ratio is never really quoted, but in the end, that's what's going to yes, tell you whether absolutely. the car is quick
2: or not. Absolutely, yeah. I got a. I've got a question. A, 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 just a, a, maybe a comment, just to set some context here, because you know when I think some of the listeners when we start talking about cars without power. The, probably the thought is, fine, you're going to buy a car that doesn't have power, but you, then you're going to use it for something different. So you're not going to take it on a spirited drive. If it hasn't got any power, you're going to use it for cruising, going up and down the coast, going slowly up and down, maybe a little bit of posing and all kinds of things like that. The question that I'd like to ask you guys is mm-hmm. what your thoughts are. And is it, If you've got a car that's got little power, can you still have a lot of fun in it? And, I mean, I think we know the answer, mm-hmm. but I'd, I'd like to just unpack that a little bit as to why, why we can and well, why power, the absolute power isn't that important. You see, I mean, I think on everyday roads, um,
0: if you've got a car with like 300 kilowatts, you're never actually going to use all that power because you just can't because you don't have enough space. The roads aren't big enough. There's too much traffic. There's too much other stuff to get in the way. And I think we've said this before, Thomas. Mm-hmm. You might not. We will. No, you can't. It's just, <laughs> it's just ridiculous. I mean, I drive, you know, in the course of a year, maybe four or five supercars, and if anything, they just frustrate me because you can't actually use these cars to their full to to their you know so sort of full um, um, potential. Potential. That's the word I'm looking for, um, and it's it's just you know. It, Sometimes I think this thing is pointless. Why do I have this car? And then you get into something like an MX-5 RF or an 86, which are cars that kind of get slated because they don't have power, they're hairdresser's cars, they're not, you know, and I actually find myself having more fun in them. I just had the 86 on test. Um, and for the first time in a very long time, I found myself taking the long way home at night because, like, you know, here I am in this car. It's manageable. I can get it out and control it. And, you know, I'm not going to go into a tree or into a shop front <laughs> and around the green side. Shop front. I'm not going to end up in <laughs> puckers Yeah, you, you know what I mean? <laughs> and it's, it's, just, it's just one of those cars which is fun and you can really – enjoy it around corners yeah you know what i mean it's it's you can really get stuck into it agreed
3: well i think on that point mike was asking well, what is it about what is it about cars that is it about absolute power or is it about enjoying yourself and um, maybe my answer to that is is maybe it's about the challenge so in other words driving a fast car fast is easy Correct. it's easy to get fast in a fast car yeah. it's not so easy to get fast in a slow car and yeah, so the okay. challenge of driving a slow car fast yeah is maybe what what us on is what makes you enjoy the GT86 yeah, not full of power in which case it, deriving the maximum enjoyment out of it is a challenge. It makes you it
0: makes you go faster in areas where you wouldn't bother going faster in more powerful cars like corners. It encourages you to brake later, go in faster, increase the corner speed. It's just more fun. I don't know, it kind of it drives you to be a more interactive. So, <clears throat> so on that, like, like, we have the fortune of
1: driving rental cars from time to time, all of us. <laughs> mm. And that's one of the the things we discuss the most, is how surprised we are and how fun rental cars are. And they're always these tiny-engined, light, nippy little cars. And we end up getting out of our big V8s and having so much fun in these little, sometimes three-cylinder
0: yeah, like a Volkswagen one app. Yeah, great fun. And They're so much fun. Excellent. Sounds great. Sounds great. You can throw them around corners. And you can drive it at twelve tenths all the <laughs> 12 time. Twelve tenths. And
1: it's, it's yeah, so they're great. So but here we are. Slow car, fast, fast is very fun.
2: So I've got two um, cars in my collection that sort of bookend the power, and that it's 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 quite interesting. So. The, the, the fastest I've got is the Diablo, which is, well, it's not the fastest, but it's the most powerful. It's got just around 500 horsepower, which is, what do you call it, 375 kilowatts. It's so quite well. heavy. It's quite heavy. Mm. But it, it's the most absurd illustration of how silly the, 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 the manufacturers were with power. So it had, it was the, when they launched it, they wanted to make it one of the most rapidly accelerating cars in the world. And have the highest top speed, so the gearing is is. And that's all is, they care about. <laughs> uh, absolutely, absolutely. Mm. I mean, look, the engine is exceptionally torquey with being a V12, so it is actually very drivable in any e- gear, but. It, it goes 96 k's an hour in first gear, which is exactly 60 miles an hour, which is the quoted not hour not 100 is not to 60 miles an hour in Europe. And, and the reason they did that was so that you could go under four seconds because you wouldn't need a gear change. So put that in perspective. Most
1: cars that people drive every day would only reach 100 kilometers an hour
2: in third gear. And you're getting there in first. In first. Now… If, and then on top of that, it's a five-speeder and it's geared for about 330 k's an hour in top. So as I say, it's quite drivable because it's got, it's, it is very talky. But if you hear me rev three gears around town, it's not safe. It's just simply not safe. Mm. (laughs) And, you know, even going into second gear and giving it some horns. And and I think that for me, that's a a bit of a problem. So I have to go and find places, big places to go and be able to rev that car. Mm. Now, on the other side, I've got a a 1970 911E, which weighs just on 1,000 kilos. And it's got 165 horsepower, which is like 120 kilowatts. That car is my favorite. Because I can do something in that car that I can't do in almost anything else. I can rev to third gear, and I'm still not going that fast. But it, it's, it's evocative. Mm. And I, as Nadav said, I've got to think about how I'm getting to that speed. Um, and it's a challenge. And I can tell you that for me, it's just far more rewarding than, than being in the Diablo. Well, it's, it's, it's using everything the car
3: has to offer. Whereas in the Diablo, you're not always able to make use of what it could offer you. In the 911E, because it's early and not powerful, you're able to use the entire maximum that the car can give you. And I think that's very rewarding, as you say. It yeah.
1: is. And now they've gone, manufacturers, and they've gone and made even more power and made it even e- easy, more easily accessible through automatic gearboxes and traction know, control. Traction control. You feel cocooned and you feel safe. And all you do is plant your right foot, and the car does the rest. So that mm. takes away from the driving experience. So the stuff we love mm. is getting involved, mm. going yeah, through the you. gears, revving the engine out, keeping momentum around corners. Mm.
0: Which is why some of the like, well, some of the most, well, the most enjoyable cars that I've ever had haven't been the fastest or the most powerful. You know, they've just been simple cars like 86s, MX fives, yeah. Fiat Panda, 100 HP. I mean, that thing has got like what? A hundred horsepower. A hundred horse, horsepower. There you go. Yeah, a hundred horsepower. <laughs> Says it on the tin. Yeah, exactly. And that <laughs> and that was just such a toll because you were just constantly revving and wanted to rev. Yeah. And you just had fun in it. And actually,
1: like, you know. So I've got another car which I love to drive, and it's a 1968 1300 Alpha Spider. Yeah. I think it's got 60 kilowatts, if that. I mean, double decker buses overtake me on uphills, but it is such a ride to drive. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's
2: great. Yeah, I and love it. It's fantastic. It. <laughs> you can drift it. <laughs> at my, at no. my house on Sunday, I had a little makeshift cars and coffee, and uh, a friend of mine came with a uh, a Dodge Demon. Oh my. Yeah, that thing what? was amazing. A Dodge Demon, which, uh, what it, which is, is it? the Challenger, it's grey. He actually has two of them, and that's the, the one, one that one comes factory from uh, with 800 horsepower. And I was sitting there speaking to someone. Yeah. and I said, do you realize this thing that we're standing next to and he was revving it and it's got this beautiful supercharger whine and a whole lot of details where like it comes with a crate of with a skinny front tire in case you want to take it to the drag strip and you can really have fun with it. But it's got 800 horsepower, which is like 600 kilowatts. And the, the comment that I made him was this thing's got about the same power as a current Formula One car. Yeah, that's amazing.
1: I mean, the thing's like, sitting in
2: my drive. <laughs>
1: it sounded amazing, though.
0: Yeah, it does. It sounds amazing. It's got the presence and it's got It all translates onto, but petrol yeah. into sound. Yeah. And we
2: love that. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, but <laughs> at the and the power screeching and, and, and plumes of smoke.
0: Yeah. <laughs> at the same time, it's completely, completely useless. I don't know. To me, bigger just isn't always better. No, look, it, there is an Agreed. argument Agreed. for that. Agreed. But
3: sometimes Agreed. we are all about power because it's fun. Nadav, to wrap it up final thoughts? Well, final thoughts is I think that what, what we entered into I would say, I don't know, 10 years ago is, is an arms race where the customer, the buyer, understands power in terms of the headline figure. And perhaps perhaps people don't necessarily appreciate that more power is, is not necessarily better. We've been discussing how less power makes a car potentially more fun, where you can extract more out of it. And what's happened is The buyer is requesting more power. And if one manufacturer gives it, the next one needs to compete as well. And what's happened is that there's been an arms race and power has gradually been increasing. The other thing that's been increasing is, as we alluded to, is the fact that that we can control that power better. Uh, You need less experience, less expertise, less skill behind the wheel to control as much power as you would have in the 1980s, for arguments like 400 horsepower is found in a hot hatch these days. It's four-wheel drive, it's traction control, it's ABS, um, and everything is regulated and makes that power much more accessible to to everybody. Either that's good or bad. I suppose that's yeah. a matter of
0: well, opinion. Are uh, well, we wrapping up now? We're wrapping up. Okay. So, if, you know, final thoughts. Final thoughts is is
3: actually yeah, I do
2: because yeah.
1: driving that 86. Although I, I have to put it out there, I do feel like it was maybe slightly underpowered Mm. i do like their approach to it because they took a narrower tire as well Mm. so narrower tire the most incredible chassis Mm. and this slightly underpowered motor just is so much fun
0: exactly so maybe that's a message to other manufacturers yeah and and to people out there don't let the sexy silken scarf of power blindfold you from the true fun cars that are out there wow very nice (laughs) nice and and (laughs) buy an alpha 4c or not. <laughs> um, we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we are going to talk about a tour.
2: <music>
0: Guys, welcome back to Cogumentative. In this segment, we're going to be chatting about a tour that um, Mark and the Dove went on a couple of months ago, and it's something that Mike has been nagging about week after week. What about the Aston Martin factory tour? So this is your this is your big chance to ask questions, yeah. and you know. So let me let me tell you about it first, yeah. and then you
1: can ask questions. Cool. If I don't tell you everything I know. Yeah. So we were fortunate enough to go and um, attend the Goodwood Revival. Uh, earlier this year, September, early September. Mm. And seeing as though we were in the UK, we thought let's tick a few other boxes. And one of the ones we wanted to tick was to go and do a tour of the Aston Martin factory, which is in Gaydon, central United Kingdom. Lovely part of the woods. Very nice. Anyway, they... they, um, yeah, they rolled out the red carpet for us. So we were,
2: first of all, how did, you, how did you arrange this? Did you have to do something before you Yeah, did
1: so you have to go to your local Aston Martin dealership, and they arrange it for you, which is, yeah. Do you
2: have to own an Aston Martin or be James Bond?
1: They say that you do. They say you do. So very fortunate enough to be on that list. And, yeah, we got this, this amazing tour. We were assigned this, this tour guide who was a very knowledgeable, lovely lady. Um, who oh well, we arrived to snacks and tea and coffee and really yeah we were taken into the it's like being a motoring journalist almost you know so we was, like was baby step on the water us. when you got there, there, there. was a car on the water and they have other cars dotted in other places along the grounds which is beautiful did you meet Peter Goth well I'm sure we did I mean is he the guy with the spanners he's the guy that yeah spanned your car apparently. <laughs> yeah apparently he signed he it off <laughs> yeah I saw him yeah, yeah obviously yeah um, yeah so. <laughs> So it was it was very cool. Um, then we yeah, so we went on to a tour of the factory. Sh- firstly, they showed us was it first that they showed us the history of Aston or was it after the tour? So first they took us and they showed us they got a selection of old cars there, mm. um, which is very interesting. Uh, some very valuable stuff, some James Bondy stuff, and uh, yeah, and then we got to walk around the factory where they assemble the cars. Where they, for me, some of the most fascinating parts was building the leather seats. Well, know? that's what
0: I was going to ask you. Yeah. Like, have they got their own bespoke yep. so they've got le- this guy with leather? and They do. A, a man in an apron.
1: Like ladies. Ladies. And there's quite a few of them. There are rows of ladies and sewing machines, all hand-stitched. It's lovely. Yeah. But they've got this awesome machine where they lay leather. So everyone's – not everyone has seen. A few people have seen how they, they take a leather hide and they mark out the imperfections and then they laser-cut the – to, to get the best use out of that hide hmm. but another section was where they perforate the hide so they, they make little holes in the hide which was very cool and that's all done by hand There's no not- that, that's done by machine oh. and then they assemble all those pieces together yeah and, uh, and then you got they had two production lines so they got the Vantage production line mm-hmm. and the new DB11 production line uh,
0: yeah did what you a, meet the man who makes those crystal key fobs? Was he there, like, tapping
2: away on yeah. this
0: big hunk of, like, imported... <laughs> yeah. you
2: know, I, I would more want to meet the guy who cut the keys of the Ford Fiestas like, yeah. on yours and mine. <laughs> those days ago. And, and programmed program, program the Volvo key fob. <laughs> <laughs> so so, so,
3: so, also, so there, there's still some technology sharing in you know, Aston Martin. Uh, there was, um, they don't hide the fact that they technology share with Mercedes-Benz these days. Um, But I must say that that was a special day. Um, I think there was a little bit of a heightened atmosphere um, at the factory that day. Um, The first customers were coming in to spec their Valkyries. Oh, really? Yeah, so there were some big shots flying around there, uh, speccing their 1.3 million euro... Hyper cars. Well, that it's we strange expect, that you didn't uh, bump into Mike then. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, were you busy well, that there. day? I think he was there the day after. No, no, because you saw
0: Jay Lena, so it could have been. <laughs> <laughs> <Thank> <laughs>
3: Uh, so yeah, we 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 think that Mike is a is a budding up and coming Jay Leno. He's, mm. he's a,
0: a young Jay
2: Leno. A he's young wearing Jay Leno. Denim, denim. as speak. Oh uh, stop! But
3: uh, <laughs> back to Aston Martin. So uh, it was it was quite a special day. Like I say, quite a nice atmosphere there that day. I think specifically, and what was interesting to me was how much of the factory floor space was devoted to the bespoke stuff. So. A relatively small amount was devoted to the actual production line, yeah. I thought. Yeah, you're and right. Whereas actually. the paint facilities and the bespoke leather work and dashboard detail and all of that actually took out a lot of room. Mm. Um, and I think that they've realized that it's the bespoke stuff that sells these cars. Well, that's the um,
0: fascinating part is to watch the painting and to watch them mixing the paint and doing the stitching and all those final touches that, that help make an Aston yep. become an Aston. You know what I mean? So
1: that's actually they were building a new kind of light room. So they drive the car, once it's finished paint and assembly, mm. they drive it under this array of lights where they go and inspect the paintwork. And, I mean, oh, you could light up a country with the amount of light shining onto the car from there.
0: I would love to do that job. That, <laughs> that must you. be the best job because you've got to be, like, completely OCD and you've just got carte blanche to be as anal as
3: possible and say, ah,
0: no, look at this. Yeah, send it back. Send it back. Send it back. It's not, it's not going like that. What is well, the
3: car you saw the, that was? Being prepped for delivery. So I'm I'm leaving that to my highlights because I want to ask you what the highlights of your day. We have to wrap well, this up. Yeah. Short I just want to ask quickly. Um,
2: so 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 these cars all handmade. So you and I both have a, a, a V8 Vantage, and even though ours are basically the the, the appliances of the Aston range. Ah. Um, they that's still lovely. They, 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 All they, hand, they, they assemble. hand assembled. Everything I mean, that, is, that's just something that just. There's not a away. single
1: robot in sight in that factory. Everything is. They have them on uh, jigs that obviously move up and down to give better access and roll them over so that people can work on them. But it's still. Everything is hand applied with drills and screwdrivers and spanners. And yeah, it's brilliant. It's really. You know that if your car has come out of that production line, it's been done properly.
3: So the, what was the highlight of your day there? Yeah, to
0: wrap up, what is your what what stood out for you most?
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's hard to say. I mean, I, the whole thing was a great experience. I know what Nadav's was, mm. um, but yeah, for me, I didn't really have a highlight. I really liked all of it. Is, is Aston Martin motorsport there? No, that's done at Prodrive down the road. So they have a, an association with Prodrive, and the lady who gave us our tour is actually very involved with Prodrive. She was super knowledgeable. Actually, she was my highlight. She was fantastic. Excellent. She, she blew our minds with her knowledge. And she knew, I mean, you could ask her any question about the history of Aston and she'd give you the answer. It wasn't she was fantastic. a money penny? <laughs> it was actually. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so for me, just out of the corner of my eye, on the far side of the factory, I spotted something. Um, it was being prepped, uh, final prep, and it was the new Vanquish Zagato shooting brake. Oh, yeah. Okay. So that's, 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 that's what's called a unicorn. Okay Those cars are going From the factory Into collections And they will not be seen Ever again I think that they were In single figures uh, Production yeah. If I'm not mistaken uh, Or at most Double digits And those things Will not be seen again Until they come out Onto the lawn At Pebble Beach In 20-30 years time So to see one in the flesh Before it's even yeah, been, it was brilliant uh, Put out on the road What a thing Goosebumps
0: That is quite a thing Quite a thing Isn't indeed
3: it? I'm looking at one now And I'm Yeah Tim Handman eh? Yeah <laughs>
0: Well, guys, that sounds like one for the bucket list. I mean, you guys have done a lot of, a lot of bucket list bucket list stuff this, this, this year. Yep. Quite, quite envious. Um, that's all we really have time for in uh, today's show. So thanks again for joining me in the studio. I'm Thomas Faulkner, and uh, catch us next week for another episode of Cogumentative. <coughs>